are seeking happiness as a virtue, as what God's will is for your life, you oftentimes, don't you find it, happiness is situational, right? So all of a sudden you go to get this thing and then you get it and then you're not happy. So you have to go strive for another thing and you're not happy and then you keep striving and striving and striving and you never get what you're looking for because we're seeking the wrong thing. Because the Spirit's character is holiness, we should be saying, God, make me holy. As Pastor Daniel reminds us today, even the betrayal of Judas couldn't change what Jesus had in store. Our failures aren't going to mess up the will of God, but we can do so much more for Him when we embrace our roles as peacemakers in the world. The hope, peace, and happiness becomes manifest in our lives through Him. Then the reality of who Jesus is will reach others. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21, with his continuing study entitled, The Missing Link. See, I didn't get saved when I hit rock bottom. I got saved hitting rock top. It was all happening. But every day I'm like, you know, I'm alive, but this can't be life. This can't be all there is. See, true spirituality is not just doing whatever you want and calling it spiritual. True spirituality is letting the Spirit of God unite us with the reality of the resurrected life of Jesus. Jesus living and promoting his resurrected life through our lives. That's why we're called the body of Christ, isn't it? Because Jesus wants our hearts so that he can push his reality into the world through a group of people. The Spirit of God unites us with real life. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I mean, life is an important thing, isn't it? We do everything we can to try and prolong our lives. And Jesus is saying, look, because I live, you live also. And he unites us just as he is united with his father. We are united with him through the ministry of the spirit. Now, as we continue, remember I skipped verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you look at verse 21, look, he goes back to the same concept. He says this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the love which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In verse 15 and in these three verses, verses 21 to 24, we learn that the Spirit promotes love experienced through obedience. The Spirit promotes love experienced through obedience. Now, this is really important. 
Because when you think about the way love is expressed in our culture, most of the love that we express is just sentimentality. See, that great English theologian, John Lennon, (laughs) spoke the reality this way. Brilliant songwriting. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love of. And then love is all you need. Great. I just flipped brilliant songwriting. It's great. Reverse it, flip it around. But you know what's amazing? All the love that John Lennon was talking about did not keep the Beatles together. How's that possible? Because oftentimes love is a sentiment. I love you, man. Yeah, I love you. True love is not only a sentiment or a feeling, but it's an action. And that's why I say here that the Spirit promotes love through obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do the things that I desire. And the reality is that if you love somebody, you will do the things that will bless them. Like I think about my wife and imagine this, and it's not the truth, but imagine if my wife did not love Mexican food. I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just using it as a hypothetical. And imagine it's her birthday. Oh no, even better, it's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. I say, oh Lynn, I love you. And I made you enchilada pie. I make me a lousy husband, right? I mean, what kind of a husband will make food for his wife that she hates? If I love my wife and I know if she really likes, you know, like a nice filet mignon, let's say. If I love her, I'm going to say, sweetie, I made you filet mignon. Right? But how many of us in our spiritual lives, Jesus says, hey, this is what I want for you. And we just show up with enchiladas for him. I mean, let's be honest. It's so easy to know what Jesus says and do the exact opposite, isn't it? See, one of the Spirit's job is to promote love in our hearts through simple obedience to what the Word would have. And I know right now in each one of our hearts, there are things that were, and it's different for all of us, there's areas in all of our lives where there is a lack of obedience where we know what God would have, but we're doing something different. We know what God's word says, but we're making another decision. And the spirit is saying, listen, I want something else for you. I have something more for you. I want you to walk in such a way that brings glory and honor to my name. And this area of your life is unbecoming for you. And if that's going on in our lives, all God simply asks from us is to repent. That's the biblical word for acknowledging that we're going the wrong way and choosing another way. And the reality is, is that repentance was the very first word of the gospel that Jesus ever proclaimed. And guess what? We never get past that. Sure, we repent one time unto salvation where we give our lives to Jesus. I repent of my self-lived life and Lord, I give you my life. But then every single day, we also repent unto sanctification. Every day in our growth and grace. Because if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, even though you love him, you still think about all terrible things that you want to do. 
You know, I once heard it said by a pastor, God loves his people and I'm working on it. And I appreciated that reality because isn't that true? The person that you're married to, God loves them, but you're working on it. And in all the ways that you don't love them, you need to repent of that. In all the ways that you feel about somebody in contradistinction to the way God feels about them. You like that? Contradistinction. That's a good one. In contradistinction to the way God feels about them, you need to repent. You need to turn from your own way of feeling and turn to the way God feels. And that is where growth comes. That is our job. But it's the Spirit's job to point us to the reality of the love that he would have for us and the ways that we're being disobedient. So we respond to the Spirit's promptings. And listen to what 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Ouch! When you read, doesn't it hurt a little bit? I'm going to read that again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen... How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And how can we say, I love God and hate our brothers? Not only that, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy and peace and long-suffering. The Spirit wants to promote radical love in and through our lives, in deeds, not just in sentiment, in deeds. Now, as we move to verse 26, it says this, or in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Look at that. The Spirit's character is holy. How many times have you said the Holy Spirit and never thought about that? That the Spirit's character is holiness. See, character is very important to God. They say that reputation is what people think you are. Character is who God knows that you are. That's a good one, isn't it? Reputation is what people think that you are. Character is who God knows that you are. And the Spirit's character is holiness or holy. Holy means other, distinct, set apart. And this is, I think, of extreme importance to us because we know, of course, that God is holy, the Father. Jesus is holy. That's why he was an acceptable sacrifice. Now we find out that the Spirit is holy. If you ask people in America, what is the most important thing about being alive? Would they say being holy? No, they'd say what? Being happy. Statistically, we learn that in America, people are more concerned with happiness than money, although they think money will give them happiness. They're more concerned with happiness than even going to heaven. But know what the problem is? This is the problem. That happiness is an outgrowth of holiness. Happiness is not a virtue to be sought after. It is the byproduct of of holiness. I don't know how many times I've had a married couple who's going through a hard time. And listen, for those of you who are going through a hard time in your marriage, it's very common. So don't think that you're the only one who's going. You mean, my pastor used to say, my pastor John Henry Corkin used to say, being married is like two porcupines trying to snuggle. 
They both got sharp points, and every once in a while you get dinged, like, ow! The key to remember is that you got some your own sharp points, you know? I don't know how many times I've heard a couple say to me, doesn't God want me to be happy? And this person doesn't make me happy. Some of you feel that way, right? Like in your job. I don't like my job. I think God wants me to be what? Happy. So I need to get a new job. I always say the same things when people say that to me. I'm just like, you know what? That's wrong. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. If you're holy, I guarantee you'll be happy. So for those of us who are seeking happiness as a virtue, as what God's will is for your life, you oftentimes, don't you find it? Happiness is situational, right? So all of a sudden you go to get this thing and then you get it and then you're not happy. So you have to go strive for another thing and you're not happy. And then you keep striving and striving and striving and you never get what you're looking for because we're seeking the wrong thing. Because the Spirit's character is holiness, we should be saying, God, make me holy. And if you don't believe that, I want to challenge you. I guarantee if you seek after holiness, no matter what's going on in your life, you're going to be happy. I guarantee it. Because what you are looking for is true Christ-likeness. Not just a momentary, this thing is the thing that I want. The Spirit's character is holy. And holiness should be the overarching character of the people of God. It's amazing, just Holy Spirit, what you can get out of Two words. The character of the Spirit is holy. Now in verse 26, it also says this. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. The Spirit's mission is to teach and to remind. The Spirit's mission is to teach and to remind us of the teachings of Jesus. And isn't that in a lot of ways what hearing the word of God proclaimed is like for those of us who are believers? Oftentimes, maybe you'll hear it said in a different way, but really it's Pastor Bill and I and the other teachers in this fellowship, our job is to remind you of the truths of what you really already know. Like when I say, don't seek after happiness, seek after holiness and happiness will be the byproduct of that holiness. Everyone says, yeah, that's true, but maybe I forgot that. And that one of the Holy Spirit's jobs in the life of a believer is to remind us and teach us the things that Jesus has told us. That's one of the blessings of my job is I don't feel like I have to make sure everyone gets it because I know the Holy Spirit's already in you. And even despite my words, will remind you anyway. That makes it easy for me. Because before I come out here, I say, Holy Spirit, speak to your people. And I love it. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, I was so blessed by your message. This thing. And I'm like, I think to myself, I didn't even say that. And I love that. Because the Holy Spirit's speaking to his people. But the Holy Spirit's mission is to teach us and to remind us of the realities of who God is. Now in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Spirit is the executor of Christ's peace. The Spirit is the executor 
of Christ's peace. When you think of someone who is an executor of somebody's will, their job or they've been granted the authority to make decisions or to put forth the decisions that have been made by the person who is no longer there. And the Holy Spirit's job is to be the executor of the peace of Jesus. See, we live in a world that knows no peace. Not geopolitically, not nationally, not within a community, and not personally. But Jesus said, look, my peace, I give to you. I leave it with you. He's like, I don't even do it as the world does it. I'm just bestowing it. See, it's so easy. I mean, we live in a culture that's very self-focused. How, when you hear that, that the spirit is the executor of Christ's peace, you say, Lord, I could use a little peace, right? But the reality is this. God doesn't just want to bestow us with peace so we have a nice little peaceful spiritual life. Jesus said, Blessed are who? The peacemakers. See, so God wants to bless his people with his peace so that we can in turn go and be a peacemaker in the world. It doesn't just find its culmination in our hearts, but it always comes to our hearts and and impacts our lives so that we can then go and put forth true peace into the world. Because we know that peace, that concept of shalom, That's the Hebrew word for peace. That doesn't just mean a cessation of hostilities. That's what we think about with peace, right? Like, I used to be conflicted, now I'm not. We used to be at war with this country, and now we're not. I used to not like my neighbor, and I used to throw my my litter over the hedge, but now I don't anymore. And we go to the block party together. Most of us think of peace on those terms, a cessation of hostilities. But in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing wholeness and delight. It's all of creation coming together for its own betterment. When you see that everything God made, God says it's good. He gave man a stewardship over creation. That doesn't mean we should exploit it. But brothers and sisters, God wants you and I and all the people of God to be people in the world who are peacemakers. He grants us with his peace through the Spirit that we might be peacemakers in the world. And for each one of us, that's going to look different. People have different passions in regards to peacemaking. For some of you, it's justice for the unborn, just rages in your heart. For some of you, it's human trafficking. For some of you, it's the plight of the impoverished. For some of you, it's who knows what. But there is so much need in our world And God has given us of his spirit to be the executor of the peace of Christ that we might first receive it and then lavish it outward. And our prayer for this church is that this whole sanctuary is filled up with people worshiping Jesus, not so that the whole sanctuary gets filled, but because each one of us are out being peacemakers in the world in the name of Jesus on your high school campus, your middle school campus, on your job, in your neighborhood, wherever you are. And that that reality touches this whole county. That's exciting, isn't it? Now, finally, in verse 28 to 31, it says this. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you 
If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going away to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Finally, the Spirit points to the cross. The Spirit points to the cross. Fascinating. Jesus says, look, I'm going away and you should be rejoicing. Wow. I mean, you ever heard someone say that? Listen, I'm leaving now. You should be happy. It's kind of a strange thing to say. But Jesus realizes that when he goes away, him going away is him taking the cross, which is for our betterment, for our benefit. So Jesus says, look, I'm going away. Not only that does he say that, but look what he says in verse 29. He says, and now I have told you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe. The Spirit points to the cross so that we would believe in what went on at the cross. Are you here today and you are unbelieving about what God did at the cross of Jesus Christ? Where Jesus died on a cross for your sins? For my sins? Look at verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. I love this. Satan's got nothing. The finished work of the cross, Satan has nothing. He's got no game in regards to you. And this is important to realize, because oftentimes we think Satan is like God's evil alter ego. Like God's Austin Powers and Satan is Dr. Evil or something like that. That's a terrible reference. Let the Austin Power fan understand. Satan's power is limited by God's prerogative. Even though Judas was coming to betray Jesus, Satan got nothing. Jesus couldn't have died on a cross unless it was the prerogative of God. And you need to realize that in your own life. Satan's got no game because of the finished work of the cross. He's got no game. And then finally, and we'll definitely close here, verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The cross shows Jesus' love for God, so let's roll. That's what goes, Jesus says, look, that you may know that I love the Father. And he gave me a commandment and I do it, so arise, let's go. And brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus loves God. Jesus has blessed us with his spirit. So let's go now. I love that because God is always outreaching. So we've come here, we've heard about the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, all that the Spirit wants to do in our lives. So let's roll. Let's get up out of here and let's go to a world that is needy in the name of Jesus. Jesus is after holiness and happiness will be the byproduct of it. Sometimes we forget that, and as Pastor Daniel reminded us, that's one of the Holy Spirit's roles, to prompt us. 
We are so happy that you're a part of our Jesus is Real radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported radio program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. We're asking for your support to expand into new territory so even more listeners can hear the message of Jesus. Your generous donation of any amount will help, whether you partner with us as a monthly supporter or if you're simply giving a one-time gift that God puts on your heart today. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Or donate online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can mail a check to Jesus Is Real Radio at 7708 NE 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for listening to Jesus Is Real Radio. Now be sure and tune in next time when Pastor Daniel speaks about what it means for God to prune our lives in order for us to bear fruit. Love should flow from our lives, but the reality is that most of us are confused about what that means. That's coming up next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.